morning to each of you. How good it is to be together. We uh, shift gears this week as we uh, continue this overall study on our vision and, and values. Uh, the past four weeks, we have been uh, sharing about our vision. Uh, one of those uh, weeks, um, the very first, had to do with following Christ. How do we um, put into action the fact that we are deeply dedicated to Christ? We uh, shift gears today and move into um, a consideration of our, uh, our core values. The, the, uh, the core values have to do with everything with our identity in Jesus. We, uh, we find ourselves uh, understanding uh, who we are, not only as individuals, but also as a, a church. We, we know that when it comes to our core values, that we are reminded that we are Christ-centered. And we, uh, we focus in on that today. Uh, we, we talked about following Christ, which is very action-oriented as a part of our, our, our vision statement. As we consider uh, Christ-centered as a core value, it, it has as, as much as anything to do with our, uh, our, our identity and uh, who we are uh, deep within. Uh, we understand that we are indeed Christ-centered, that we're biblically based, that we are discipleship-driven, community-oriented, mission-minded, and family-focused. Uh, these six things form our identity as a church, and hopefully they are very much a part of who we are as individuals and families. Again, this is who we are, our core values. Just recently, the Pew Research Center published the results of a study where they attempted to project the religious uh, affiliations well into the future. All of this for our own country here in the United States. Their findings confirmed what we uh, already sense to be true, that there is a consistent drift from Christianity. In fact, the, the study concludes that by 2070, Christians will make up only 46% of the population, slightly less than a majority. Now, that's something to ponder, particularly when the vast majority of those in the United States of America profess faith in, in Jesus. Today, that percentage stands right around 63%. That's down from 78% just uh, to, uh, just a few years ago, uh, 78% in, in 2007. So the, the Pew uh, Research Center predicts that a large percentage of the population, 41%, will, will comprise uh, what are called nuns, or those expressing no religious affiliation. And Jesus said centuries ago that the fields are white for the harvest. What is needed are those to go out in the fields and to bring in the harvest. With God's help, we can turn around those very stark statistics, those very, uh, uh, very tough percentages to hear. We know that we have a great story to tell, and you and I would do well to tell it and to do that consistently by, by what we say and also to, to tell it by, by the very things that we do. The story about Jesus is that those who are centered in Him can't help but be energized for this life and hopeful for the next. 
We'll be talking about both of those things today, about being energized for this life and hopeful for the next. We know that there is a winsomeness to our faith and a power that we need to champion each and every day, again, by the very things that we say and do. That's certainly what the Apostle Paul did. His every desire was to, to lift up the name of Jesus to all who would listen. Above all things, Paul wanted to glorify Christ by what he said and by what he did. And he did that regardless of his circumstance. And we know that Paul faced some tremendously tough circumstances. So let's hear about that sort of thing as we uh, read from Philippians 1, verses 19 through 21. Let's hear this from God's Word. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So this is God's Word for God's people. May it be a deep and abiding blessing to each of us, not only as we have now heard it read, but as we seek to take our lives and apply them to that Word. May God bless us all. I have uh, never been sentenced to, uh, to prison, but I know those who have. Who have. And I've uh, visited many of them in prison. For those in prison, I've come to learn that letter writing is a big part of their contact with the outside world. Down through the ages, some have written from prison, and their letters have worked to, to change the world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote from prison while incarcerated by the, the Nazis during World War II. Following his death, right before uh, the end of the war, many of those letters were then compiled to form a book. The title of that book is uh, Letters and Papers from Prison. That book acquainted thousands and thousands of people with, with Bonhoeffer's, Bonhoeffer's challenging ideas about the faith. Nelson Mandela wrote hundreds of letters during his 27 years in prison. Many of those were to his family, others um, to, uh, to the authorities that were in power at the time, demanding change and an end to apartheid. Martin Luther King, Jr. Uh, wrote his, uh, his, his famous letter from Birmingham jail and has since challenged us that justice delayed is justice denied. All of these and, and many more have written from prison, and what they have written has really had effect on the broader culture and society. The Apostle Paul also wrote from prison. He did some of his best work from prison, or maybe I should say God did some of his best work through Paul while Paul was in prison. 
You remember that uh, Paul and Silas were in the Philippian jail singing and, and praising God. It was around midnight and an earthquake set them free. The jailer who was responsible for uh, looking out for the jail and those who were in prison, were, he was so distressed that he was ready to take his own life. Paul and Silas stepped in. And the man famously asked, what must I do to be saved. He and his family were baptized that day. Paul was not so much constrained by prison. He made the best of it and was resolved, even though he was in prison, to continue to reach out. He did that mostly through writing letters. The portion of Scripture that we read today from Philippians 1, 19 through 20, was written from prison, most likely in, in Rome. Philippians, uh, that he, the book of Philippians that he, uh, he writes there in, uh, in, in prison is essentially a, a thank you note that was sent to the church in Philippi as a, as a letter. It shares his uh, deep devotion to Christ, not only as thanks for the, the gift that the Philippians had uh, shared with Paul, while he was in prison. Paul's every, uh, every reason for being, his, uh, his very identity, if you will, was tied in Christ. And we, we see that uh, coming through very clearly as we read through the pages of, of Philippians. We find that whether in life or death, it was Paul's every desire to bring glory to Jesus. He, he writes this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's every desire was to bring glory to Christ. And then he writes this, this great triumph triumphant statement, this very profound statement that, uh, that, that really is the focus of our attention today. Paul writes, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I've never uh, preached uh, that passage, uh, although I have quoted it often uh, during funerals. Almost at, at every funeral, I will uh, We'll, we'll weave that in some way or the other, not only to, to bring a, a good memory of the person who has died, but, but, but also to encourage those who are hearing that uh, whether in life or death, it is ours to glorify Christ. That sort of uh, uh, stance that is taken in, in, in Paul's writing, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, re reflects a life that is resolutely centered in Jesus. Christ was Paul's ultimate passion. As we said earlier, for Paul, Christ was his reason for being. Christ lent meaning and, and purpose uh, to Paul's life, that, and, and, and it lent that meaning and purpose in, in such ways that he had never experienced before in his life. Regrettably, there are far too many in this life who, who seem to just flow through life without any sort of meaning and purpose. 
Some really struggle to find it. Some, some have it, and then it seems to, to be lost, and, and, and because of that, they, they seem to be lost. Theirs is more akin to simply existing, and in some cases, just surviving. Meaning and purpose has a way of uh, changing the way we live, particularly when it comes to the sort of meaning and purpose that Jesus can lend to our lives. Life in Christ is rich and full in every way. It informs not just this life, but also the next. Jesus states in, in John 10.10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. He also states in, in John 14, uh, 1 through 3, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be with me also. That you'll be at the very place where I am. I call that abundant life now and eternal life later on. And it strikes to the very core of our faith, living abundantly right now and all the meaning and purpose that, that Jesus lends to our lives, all with the hope of eternal life later on. If, if you want to just skate through life, don't waste your time with Jesus. If, though, you want fullness of life that stretches all the way to eternity, give your life to Jesus. Find yourself centered in Him. You will find yourself never sorry about that decision. For me, I can't imagine going through life without Jesus. Jesus has fulfilled my life to no end. His love has supported me. His guidance has never, ever failed me. His peace has sustained me. His call to serve has opened the door to all sorts of, of opportunities that have uh, shaped my life and have also given me the opportunity to, uh, to be there for, for other people. Life in Christ has brought tremendous fulfillment, wonderful meaning and purpose. It has been a full life indeed, all of that with Christ. And just think of it, it has only begun given the light of eternity ahead. And that is certainly the case for, for each of us. As our lives are given to Christ, there is fulfillment, there is meaning and purpose, and it has only just begun all in the light of eternity. When it came to life and death, Paul was well settled about such things because he knew that Jesus was at the center of his life. He knew that Jesus was at the center of it all, whether it be life or death. Paul rejoiced over the fact that he was able to, to share life with Christ in the here and now. He also rejoiced that he would be able to do that also for all eternity. Again, abundant life now and eternal life later on. 
It is the very flow of what it means to be Christian, whether life or death, heaven or earth. It was a win-win proposition. Either way, all because of Jesus. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a way to live. Writing from Rome and sensing that the end was very near, and indeed it was, Paul kept his eyes on the horizon, just as he uh, had consistently done since meeting Jesus. For Paul, the, the horizon was where heaven and earth met. And there at the, the intersect of heaven and earth meeting was the, the empty tomb, the tomb that very briefly held him prisoner. But in the power of God, in the plan of God, the eternal plan of God, Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb no longer held him. He emerged, giving us the hope and promise of abundant life now and of eternal life later on. For Paul, Christ's resurrection represented freedom for this life and for the next, even though a good deal of his life was spent in prison. He knew that freedom, freedom in Christ was his. For those who keep their lives centered in Jesus, Easter is not just on Easter Sunday. It is a whole life issue that in, in, informs life all the way to eternity. We need to remember that. We need to be reminded of that. Again, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That sort of idea is tied to, to what Jesus does for our lives. That that his, uh, his good work is not just limited to, to this life, but, is, but is, is also a part of the, the next as well. In fact, he, he paves the way to, to eternal life. The power of resurrection allows us to live triumphantly, whether it is this life or the next. So what is it then that imprisons you? Maybe it is the the wrong of your life that has a hold on you. And it is just tough to, to walk away, tough to, to make a break. What is it that imprisons you? Maybe it's the, the cares and concerns of, of this world that weigh you down. What is it that imprisons you? Maybe it's a, a lack of direction your life seems to have, and you, you know not where to turn, and it's almost like you're, you're just held captive by it all. What is it that imprisons you? Is it that hollow feeling that leaves you wondering if this is all there is? Christ wants to set you free for this life and for the next. Christ himself says in, in John 8, 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Scott Bartell, who is now the uh, director of Prodigal Ministries and who is away from us this weekend. His father uh, died just a couple of days ago there, uh, there in northern Illinois um, celebrating his dad's life. Let's be in prayer for Scott. 
Well, he just recently, as many of you know, became director of Prodigal Ministries. Prodigal Ministries is a, is a ministry focusing on the support uh, of those who have recently left prison. He, uh, Scott tells the story of the, of the founder and, and first director of Prodigal Ministries and how things all got started. The fellow who is that founder and, and first director uh, is uh, Chuck Broadus. Early in his life, Chuck was wrongly accused of a murder that he, uh, he didn't do. But Chuck, uh, being falsely accused and, and, uh, and, and committed to prison, did, did so for multiple years, uh, many, many years. Later, uh, Chuck was released when the person who actually committed the, the crime confessed. While Chuck was in prison, he gave his life to Christ. And as he gave his life to Christ, he, he noticed that those who left prison after a few weeks generally returned. And he, he wondered, even out loud, that there must be a way to help those released from prison to, to acclimate to life outside of prison and to, to get on with their lives. Well, upon getting outside of prison himself, Chuck, along with the help of a couple of other guys, started Prodigal Ministry. The ministry has helped countless numbers of people not only find the Lord, but to make a, a fresh start outside of prison. It's been a wonderful ministry and continues to be so under Scott's leadership. Years ago, I, I worked on what is called a Residence Encounter Weekend. REC is a prison ministry of the, the Emmaus Walk. Some of you may have uh, served on a, a residence encounter Christ weekend. I noticed during the, the weekend that I, that I served that there was a deep hunger on the part of the residents for Christ. Theirs was a, a willingness to get things right with Jesus. They seem to hang on every word that is spoken. They, they seem to participate in a, in a big way in every opportunity for, for worship. They, they enjoyed every conversation that, that, that took place talking about Jesus and the difference that uh, He could make for their, their lives. They just seemed to really just grab everything that was done. On that weekend, many gave their lives to Christ. And while they may not have been released from prison, they had been released from their imprisonment. They were freed from the very things that bound them. New meaning and, and purpose came flooding in. Life or, or, or death, for that matter, wasn't, wasn't nearly as, as dawning. They became new creations in Christ, all on account of their newfound freedom in Christ and all that Christ offered their lives. That's what happens. That's what happens when, when Christ becomes the center of a person's life. When deep within, that person finds themselves centered in Jesus as a matter of, of core value, as a matter of, of who they are. And so we ask ourselves, How's that sort of thing playing out for you? How are you finding yourself being 
centered in Christ as a matter of core value? How's that sort of thing working out for you? Is it that you are, are living with that great notion, that profound notion that, that Paul brings us today, even as he wrote it from prison, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for claiming our lives. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to live in, um, in the fulfillment that is you. Thank you for lending meaning and purpose to our lives. Thank you for, uh, for offering abundant life now and eternal life later on. Lord, it is our prayer today that you would empower us to be centered in your Son. We pray that Christ is at the very center of who we are. Lord, we pray just now that you work in us to bring about that sort of center to the end that our focus is is clearly upon, upon him. We do love you, and we need you, and we seek to give you our lives through Christ, and in that may you do your thing, work a wonderful work, redeem us, we pray, free us from all that weighs us down, and help us to emerge into the new life that you would have us to share. Hold us, Lord, fast in your care. Touch us as only you can. And receive our thanks for being the Lord that you are. This prayer we make in the name of Jesus Christ, trusting in the power of that name for today's world. Amen.